Well, good morning, church. It's great to see your faces this morning, the smiles, the full tummies, the family, and we have plenty to rejoice in today. And so let us pray to get started here this morning. Lord God, I offer to you this Sunday morning, I offer to you this chance to speak words of life, Lord, words of an eternal kingdom. Lord, I pray for each person here that you would open their hearts through your spirit, Lord, that they might receive life in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I am just going to jump right into the scriptures. No funny story to start. I'm sorry about that. Because I don't need to make this exciting. The scripture makes this exciting. And as we look at this image on top, we are starting a new series starting on Easter today called Kingdom Come. And I had some time to reflect on this as I took a road trip last week. And instead of doing a nice little self-contained Easter sermon for you with a bow on it today, we're doing a 12-week Easter sermon. All right? Because... I know some are visiting family today, and you can hear these same scriptures through your own Bible or through another church, but I want you to go back to church next week to continue learning the Easter story and what it means for you. And this image here, kingdom come, you see a crown on top, and then you see an arrow pointing down. And so we're going to see that played out here in the scriptures. And so we're going to look into the introduction of Luke and Acts. And these are two letters in the New Testament. I was shocked to find out this week that Luke is actually the greatest contributing author of the New Testament beyond Paul when you count the number of verses. Because Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke, but he also wrote the book of Acts. And they're a part one and a part two of the story. Did you know that the gospel has a part two? A lot of times we end at the end of the gospel. And we think that what Jesus began to do and teach is finished. But it's not. And so we're going to look at the introductions of both Luke and Acts to see how it fits together. And in the introduction of Luke, it says the following in verse 1 and 2. It says... Many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They use the eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples. And I thought about this, this first verse. As he's writing to a, a friend about Jesus, right? There's someone that's here with Luke. He's willing to listen, and he wants to learn more. And Luke starts out by saying, you know, there's been a lot of stuff said about what's been fulfilled among us. Namely, who Jesus is and what Jesus does. And I'm sure each one of us has different things in mind when you think about Jesus. I was struck when I was reading through the Palm Sunday passage in Luke. We won't go there today, but P 
people hail him as king when he enters Jerusalem. And in the very next passage, Jesus looks at Jerusalem and weeps. He weeps because they missed it. And at the end of that, he says, they did not recognize it when God visited them. They're too caught up in their own ideas of Jesus, who Jesus is to learn who he really was. They missed it. In our culture, they have all sorts of things to say about Jesus. They say he's a good teacher. He lived a good moral life. And yet it's so easy to cast our own expectations on Jesus. I heard someone recently say, you know, when I hear someone preach, I just want to see Jesus. It doesn't matter necessarily if they're preaching out of the Bible or not, but I want to see Jesus. I thought to myself, what kind of Jesus do you see? <laughs> are you truly seeing him or are you just looking in a mirror and reflecting yourself upon him? And so Luke says, there's all sorts of accounts out there. And they're circulating around. And some of them, the best ones, are the eyewitness accounts. People that actually walked with Jesus here. And Luke is alive during the time people actually walked with Jesus. They had stories to tell. And so in verse 3 and 4, Luke says, I've carefully investigated everything from the beginning. So Luke didn't actually walk with Jesus. He was a, a friend of the disciples as they went through the missionary journeys. So he saw the kingdom of God unfolding and then tried to trace its roots, saying, something is spreading across the world and I have no idea what it is. I'm going to investigate this thing. And so he starts asking questions and talking to people who'd been with Jesus and trying to figure out the source of how did this thing start? And I think about today on Easter morning, there's a dozen churches or so in town celebrating a resurrected Jesus. And that's just in this town. Think of across the world, what has spread across the, grove, the globe. Something has happened. We still see the effects of it. We see people sold out for this thing. Staking their lives on this thing. And it is valuable to look to the source to say, where did this all start? What is the true report about this? And he says to his friend Theophilus, he says, I want you to be certain I want you to be certain that you have the right report about Jesus because everything is at stake if you do or if you don't. The way you start a letter, the way you start a book, it's telling you what this all means. It tells you why he's writing it. The purpose for your ears this morning, are to get an accurate report of who Jesus is. Before we get to the introduction of Acts, I did want to show you how Luke ends. So there's the gospel, and then there's Acts. It's part one and part two, and so I want to show you how part one ends, 
right, before we get to episode two, so to speak. And so in Luke 24, Jesus had lived his life. He did many miracles, many teachings. He went to the cross, as we looked at that over Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday, reflecting on Jesus, giving his life on the cross in love for us, and he died for our sins. And then, in the story at the end of Luke, on the road to Emmaus, two of Jesus' followers meet Jesus. But they don't know he's alive. They don't actually expect him to be there. And they tell us what's going through their mind at this point. This is what they know so far. They say, he was a prophet. He did powerful miracles, and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. That's one report of Jesus. People will say, yeah. He did some miracles. He did some great things. He taught some great lessons. Another report says, but our leading priests and other religious leaders, they handed him over to be condemned to death and they crucified him. This is most common, the evangelical message that Jesus died for your sins, right? And that is true. Jesus died for your sins. He was a sacrifice to make you right with God. Like a priest interceding on your behalf. So he was a prophet, and ironically, the priests of the day killed him, but he is now the reigning priest, making us acceptable to God for our sin. But that's not all there is about Jesus. And I thought about this. Why did Jesus have to raise to life? In his death, he offers sacrifice for sin. What if he had never raised? Would we be right with God? He took the penalty for our sin, right? Does it end there, or is there a part two to who Jesus is? I'm here to suggest to you that there is a part two. And that part two is why these two were very disappointed They hadn't heard the report yet that Jesus was alive. And it says in the end here, it says, We had hoped that he was the Messiah who would come to rescue Israel. In other words, we thought he was the anointed king. And in order for Jesus to be king, and in order for us to live in his kingdom, the king has to be alive. And often we thank Jesus for paying for our sins. We see him as our priest. We thank him for being a prophet. We live our lives according to some of his lessons. But what will stick with you next week when it's no longer Easter, is that Jesus is alive as king. 
And there's many different kingdoms out there. Many of them waging war on your soul. Many of them taking you captive. Many of them destroying your life. And there is a kingdom on the move, which is the part two of the gospel, which is the good news that's going to last forever, that we can enter into. There's different atonement theories I learned back in seminary. They emphasize different things about what Jesus did. One of them is that one of the reports of Jesus out of these theories is that Jesus was just a good teacher, a good moral example. That emphasizes him as the prophet. Another one is that Jesus was the satisfaction of a penalty. That emphasizes him as a priest, as a lamb. And, and that is true. But my favorite one, I think the one that reaches across the spectrum and includes all of these, is called that Christ is king. That's the theory that Jesus has always been and will always be the king. And that his death and resurrection defeated Satan, defeated hell, defeated sin, and creates a kingdom for the people of God to live in and to enjoy peace and harmony and shalom. That's what I propose to you today, is that the kingdom is coming. And Acts 1 shows that as well, if you'll turn to your scriptures there. And this is part two, and it says this. It says, in my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus, look at this word, began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. So he mentions what Jesus began to do and to teach. Has it ended and has it stopped? The answer is no. Because the king has not stopped. And the kingdom has not stopped. What Jesus began to do and to teach continues. Just as the kingdom of God continues to forcefully advance. Just as the king is still on the move. And now it's going to be through his spirit. And so in verse, uh, next slide. Verse 3, it says, During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways he was actually alive. Actually alive, I love that. They didn't go around checking their theology textbooks of, debating, and yes, yes, we've come to agreement. Yep, Jesus is alive. They saw him. They talked with him. Many times they had breakfast with him. He was alive. And Jesus talked to them about what? What does the risen Savior talk to them about? Talks to them about the kingdom 
of God. The next 12 weeks, every sermon, you will see a verse about the kingdom of God. And we're going to go through two chapters at a time. And every time, the kingdom of God is mentioned at least once. It's used over a hundred times through the gospel. And yet, I was reflecting on my vacation last week. What is the kingdom? What is the accurate report of what the king is doing and who he is? Because there's so much brokenness out there. We did a road trip through Chicago, and I just saw just every, all the hustle and bustle, and I just got to thinking to myself, I see signs of a different kingdom, God. We did a bus tour through Chicago, a mafia bus tour, learning about terrible, terrible stories. <laughs> a couple times, Elena looked like each other, like, ooh. There's a, and it's just, God, there's a different kingdom out there that I see. There's a different kingdom that I experience. And yet a risen Savior today, a risen King, is trying to tell you about His kingdom. Are you listening to Him or not? Tomorrow or next week, are you going to keep listening to the risen king about his kingdom. And in case you want to say, you know what, I'm comfortable in the kingdom I'm currently operating in, let me tell you something. That kingdom is not comfortable. It might be the easy option. It might be the path of least resistance. But there is a reckoning in that kingdom. There is suffering in that kingdom. Sometimes we wonder, why God, why is there suffering in my life? I think often he's trying to wake us up saying, because you're willingly shackled to another king. It might be the king of self. It might be the king of culture might be the king of money or the king of pleasure. Christ wants to set you free in his kingdom. So the challenge today is not to remember a Jesus that died, but also to remember a Jesus that's raised wants to teach you about his kingdom. Almost every chapter in the gospel mentions this kingdom, and yet we just gloss over it like it's nothing. But the kingdom has come. The kingdom is coming. And the kingdom will be forever. In verses 4 and 5, Jesus tells them that they're to stay where they are in Jerusalem till they receive his spirit. And then in verse 6, the apostles are starting to wonder what's going on. And they ask him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? That question inherently is wrong. And that it's no longer about the nation of Israel here. 
It's not their kingdom. It's not their expectations anymore. The disciples miss it again and again in the Gospels, asking Jesus questions like, Jesus, Jesus, who will be the greatest in your kingdom? Like, will I be able to be, like, on your council? Will I be sitting there, right? How much power will I have, Jesus? I would love to tell the Romans what to do. Can I have some authority in that? They're missing the point in God's kingdom. And yet they're right in that Jesus will restore the kingdom. They're right to know that the kingdoms they're living under are broken, in desperate need of restoration. Continuing on. Verse 7, Jesus replies and says, It's not for you to know the times or the dates. when I will fulfill it completely. So the kingdom is continuing, and someday Jesus will come back and consummate the kingdom entirely. And when he does that, it will no longer be as a lamb, it will be as a lion. His patience now in allowing other kingdoms is so that some would come to repentance, that people would wake up. But someday Jesus is coming back as a lion. And usually people, when they account for Jesus, they think to themselves of a lamb, of a doormat. If you continue reading your Bible past the Gospels, he is king, and he is the lion of Judah. I'm excited for the day when he comes back, mixed with fear. Because the lion is good, but he is not safe. Now he wills people to come to repentance. But on that day, when he ushers in the kingdom, it's going to break those clinging to other kingdoms. Today is the day for repentance. Today is the day. The kingdom of heaven is near. Many times in the gospel, Jesus would sense in someone's heart that they were understanding, that they were seeking him, and he would tell them, the kingdom of God is near to you. Because when God's will happens in your life the kingdom has come and that is what he wants to do this morning that is why he rose from the dead verse 8 here says that god wants to give you his spirit it says you will receive power when the holy spirit comes upon you you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere just as churches across the world are preaching this good news of a risen savior and it says, not just in Jerusalem, but throughout Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This kingdom is no longer political. It is no longer a nation. It is to the ends of the earth. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation is included in this movement of God's kingdom. 
And that kingdom is advancing. That kingdom is an invitation to each person sitting here to be a part of. And it will not be stopped. The very end of Acts, the very last verse mentions that Paul is preaching the kingdom of God and no one is stopping him. You can't stop the kingdom. It was promised long ago that God would give a land to his people and be their king. It's a freight train. And there's seats on that train you can be on. But don't stand in front of the freight train. It's better to take it as a ride to where God wants to take your life. Next slide, please. I like this verse. It'll be the last one we look at today. So as they hear Jesus say these things about his kingdom, when they ask, will you restore it? And Jesus says, no, I'm going to continue it through you, through my spirit to the ends of the earth. It is being fulfilled. The kingdom is advancing. It is being restored. I want to bring it to everybody. And then Jesus ascends to heaven. And as these disciples look into heaven bewildered, angels come down and they say, why are you just standing here staring into heaven? As if to say, don't you realize you're part of this thing now? God has not called you to just stand there and stay stare into heaven he's called you to be part of this someday he will return but as countless parables of jesus show as the king is away the servants are to be about his business so that when he returns they can hear the words well done good and faithful servant enter into my joy today we celebrate that we can enter into his joy that we can be about the Father's business. It's a good kingdom. You know, if you take this image and you turned it on its side, for those that are math teachers, you would see that the king is greater than anything else, right? And as the king comes down, as his kingdom comes down, it is greater than anything else in your life. And I understand the pain life brings. And I know it hits hard. I know the brutality of other kings other than Jesus. Kings that would seek to steal and kill and destroy Kings that are counterfeit kings. That just want to use you and not love you. The gospel is optimistic, but it is also realistic. And it acknowledges the suffering acknowledges that Jesus had to die 
There is death and brokenness in this world. And Jesus experienced it too. But he rose again. And there is hope. Because a risen king is bringing a kingdom. And on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ, I invite you to be part of it. There's not a lot of empty seats here, but imagine that in the one next to you, Jesus is sitting. What do you think he thinks about you? Is he wondering why you're here? (laughs) Is he ready to lay down the hammer? Or do you think he wants to know you? Do you think he cares about you? Do you think he wants to be your king? You can tell him right now and say yes. Say, Jesus, free me from the kingdoms of this world. I want to be a part of what you are doing. Tell him yes. Because I need someone to love me and not use me. Tell him yes. Because I don't think I can make it another day with where I'm at. But with you as king, I know I can make it forever. You don't have to account to me. But the scriptures, they teach of a king who has come. He stands at the door and knocks. Will you let him in? This king has come for you. He died and rose again. For you. That is the true account of Jesus that you can be certain of. That is why these scriptures were written. That's why we're going to take a dozen weeks to go them through them. So next week, read Luke chapters 1 and 2. And keep an eye out for where you see any words of kingdom and king. So we're going to trace from the very beginning, from the very source, how did this thing all start? The king loves you. He gave his life for you. And he invites you to reign with him forever. Let's pray. Jesus Christ, we acknowledge the true report about you, that you are the risen King.
And I pray that you would reveal to each of us what that truly means so that we don't miss it. In Jesus' name, amen.